Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 42 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. 42, the meaning of life, the universe and everything. As any Douglas Adams fan will know, it is the meaning of it all. So hopefully we have a special episode for you here on Fireside. And I certainly do think we do. We are talking about Conora Moore. And we'll talk about him more in a minute. But first of all, if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support in listening to this podcast. I hope you're enjoying it. And if you're a new listener, you're very welcome along. We hope you'll stick around and listen to all of the podcasts. Who knows, maybe you have, and now you've arrived back. And now you're totally up to date with episode 42, if you're listening to us when this comes out, of course. If you enjoy the podcast, please do follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. It's the best place to get all of the updates on podcasts, on the podcast, on live shows, and about what I'm up to. And it is the best place to contact me as well. And thank you to everyone who sends me the lovely messages of support that have been sent to me. Please do keep them coming if you have any thoughts or suggestions for the podcast. I always enjoy hearing that. And you'd want it to be, yes, an egalitarian socialist model where it's it's our podcast that we build together as we approach the end of year one of this podcast, which is insane, as, uh, as we have only 10 left before we get to like the year mark. That's so, so exciting. So there's very exciting news coming. Um, for the podcast, I'll definitely, I think, be able to announce it by the next episode because, yeah, we want a bit of time for it. Just so I have, uh, I could tell you now, but I would, it would still be vague. I'd be more talking about concepts and stuff, whereas I want to definitely, in my more, more in my own head, figure out something more concrete so I can tell you exactly what we're talking about. And so I won't be vague and mysterious for much longer next time. I will tell the very exciting news and the huge boost for this podcast. But we're going to tackle this story now. For So we're back to the historical cycle, the king cycle of Irish mythology. This is the second last king we're going to look at, I think. Yeah, we've got this story and then we've kind of got the big, the big story of this cycle, which I'll talk about when we come to it. But we're talking about Conor O'More now. This is another king that I didn't really know a huge amount before, but there's a lot here. This is uh, there's definitely a lot of similar elements to a few of the stories in the King Cycle, and so I've I've relished when I found ones that have total different trajectories, and this is definitely one of them. 
this is one that there was a lot in. We had, the week before last, we had the wooing of a tain. The reason I took, I did wooing of a tain, because that was a story from the mythological cycle, and why I plunked it right here in the King cycle, is because the wooing of a tain is very much a prequel to the story of Conor Amor, and it was one I felt was important to do before tackling his story. I thought it gave a good context to to the world of this king, and sure, I'll let you hear all about it and make your own minds up and we'll chat a bit more about it after the story. But here is the story of Conor Amor on Fireside. Conor Amor Never kill birds. Never go clockwise around the kingdom of Tara or anti-clockwise around the petty kingdom of Brega. Never hunt the horrid beast of Kierna. Never sleep in a house from which firelight can be seen through the spokes of a cart. Never follow three reds into a red house. Never allow pillaging in Era. Never allow any man or woman alone in the house you are in after sunset. Never be the one to settle a quarrel between two of your subjects. Never spend more than nine consecutive nights away from Tara. This was the long, varied, and absurdly specific list of Gyasa put on Conora Moor. Gyasa were taboos put on people of greatness by a higher power, but they were given to Conora Moor by a half-avian, half-human creature they called the Bird King. The Bird King also happened to be Conora's father, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Conora was born to Mas Bukala, a name which means raised by cowherds. While she was indeed raised by cowherds, Masbukala was actually the daughter of noble but tragic circumstances. The High King of Ireland, Yucky, had married the most beautiful woman on the island. That, at the time, was the Princess of Ulster, Etain. However, as it turned out, Etain was one of the Tua Derdanen, who had lost all of her memory of her homeworld, and even more so, her true love, Midir. When Midir finally tracked down Atain and restored her memory and carried her off back to Tirnanog, Yucky was distraught. He vowed he would have Atain back if it was the last thing he did. So Yucky and his armies began to thunder around the island, digging up and destroying every fairy fort in their paths. Very bad juju indeed. Give me back my wife, cried Yucky. She was my wife first. She's Tua de Danen. She doesn't belong here. I'll destroy every shrine and fort on this island until I have her back. Midir considered this. Okay, I'll tell you what. I will summon fifty women, and if you are able to pick Etain out, I will give my blessing for her to return with you to Tara. Yoki agreed and fifty beautiful and almost identical women were summoned right there to the fairy fort. However, to Yucky, it was like picking out a Caravaggio amongst a collection of stick drawings. Midir seemed suspiciously humble in defeat, and Yucky and Etain were allowed to return to Tara. One year later, just after Etain had given birth to her and Yucky's first child, the river god Midir returned to Tara. He wished to come clean to Yucky. Midir revealed that the woman who Yucky had picked out from the crowd of fifty was not Etain, 
but Yucky's own daughter, whom Attain had given birth to after Midir took her to the land of promise in the first place. So in fact, the child that had just been born was both Yucky's daughter and granddaughter. Never attempt to come between me and my love ever again, said Midir, before becoming like water vapour and evaporating into the ether. The deeply wronged and tormented Yucky could not bear to look upon the creature of incest he had brought into this world. The king demanded the child be taken and thrown down a well. The soldier sent to carry out the deed brought the baby wrapped in swaddling to the well, but upon looking at the child couldn't bring himself to kill it. Instead, in secret, the soldier smuggled the baby out of Tara and gave it to a group of cowherds to raise. And the baby was named Mas Bukala, which means raised by cowherds. Rather than growing up deformed and damaged by being a product of incest, the fairy blood in Mas Bukala's veins meant she grew up as beautiful as her grandmother attained. Among gods and fairies, incest is more common than battles. One night, a huge bird flew through Masbukula's window and transformed into a half-bird, half-man, bird person. The bird person revealed himself as the bird king. I am the bird king. You will have my child and marry the high king of Ireland. And our son will be high king after him. Um, hello, said Masbukula. And all that the bird king said came to pass. Masbukala married the high king and gave birth to the bird king's son, whom she named Conora. Masbukala then gave birth to three more sons, all of these by the king her husband. Conora and his three brothers grew up inseparable. They ate together, played together, slept together. They were more like a litter of wolf pups than human. They were dressed the same and ride on horses of the same colour. Because of the fairy blood, Conora grew up with three gifts. The gift of sight, of hearing, and of judgment. To each of his brothers, Conora gave one of these three gifts to show just how much he loved them. When Conora and all his brothers were grown, their father, the High King, died. To celebrate his life and mourn his death, the four brothers went out for a hunt. Hunting was both the cause to and solution of all of life's problems. Now at the time, it wasn't as simple as the son of a king inheriting his father's titles. There was a strange pagan ritual to decide who would be king next. A great bull would be slaughtered and roasted, and all the people would eat of its flesh. But one seer would drink all of the bull's blood until he became drunk and sleepy. That night it was said that the seer's dreams would proclaim the next king. In the morning, the seer emerged and said, We're an odd owl bunch all the same, aren't we? Followed by, I dreamed a naked youth came to Tara on foot. That's your own business, pal. The youth will be our king. So the people of Tara awaited a naked man to emerge. Meanwhile, out on the hunt, Conora and his brothers were in pursuit of a flock of great birds. Conora was by far the fastest and best hunter of the lot, so he bounded ahead to make the kill. Crouching behind a rock, Conora cornered one bird. With calm and steady prep, Conora cast his spear, but as the projectile was about to pierce its target, the bird transformed into a half-man, half-bird, bird person, the bird king. I am the bird king, 
I am your real father. This is not how I saw this hunt going, said Conora. The bird king told his son that he would be king if he took off all of his clothes and walked naked back to Tara. But for your reign to prosper, there are certain gasa you must obey. Is one not to harm birds? You're goddamn right it is. The bird king then began to list the long, varied, and absurdly specific list of taboos Conora would have to obey. Never kill birds. Never go clockwise around the kingdom of Tara or anti-clockwise around the petty kingdom of Brega. Never hunt the horrid beast of Kierna. Never sleep in a house from which firelight can be seen through the spokes of a cart. Never follow three reds into a red house. Never allow pillaging in era. Never allow any man or woman alone in the house you are in after sunset. Never be the one to settle a quarrel between two of your subjects. Never spend more than nine consecutive nights away from Tara. Confused and doing his best to commit each commandment to memory, Conora stripped off in front of his bird da and walked back to Tara. Sure enough, when he was spotted in the distance, a great cheer and fanfare went up. Crowds came out to meet the naked Conora. He was clothed and proclaimed king. Conora's coronation did indeed bring prosperity to the land, but great misfortune to the king himself. Conora's three beloved foster brothers began to get a bit big for their boots. Rather than becoming jealous of Conora, the three brothers began to take advantage of being the king's brothers. They began to rob, marauder, and pillage the landscape, like pirates or the blackened tans. There was one farmer in particular that the brothers would rob sheep, pigs, and ox from year after year, until the father was forced to go to the high king at Tara. Conora was devastated, and had been put in a very difficult position. The punishment for such pillaging was death but Conora could not bring himself to execute the brothers he loved so dearly. So Conora's brothers were given a worse punishment. They were banished to Albion, today known as England. Soon after the exile of his brothers, Conora learned that two of his subjects in the south of the island, in Kerry, were involved in a quarrel. They were neighbours arguing over land, and it was becoming so heated it was looking as if it would come to blows. So Conora went to visit each man to attempt to ease the quarrel. Conora ended up spending five nights in the first man's house, and realised to not show favouritism and exacerbate the rivalry, he would have to spend an equal number of nights in the other man's house. So in total, he spent ten nights away from Tara. In one foul swoop he had broken two of his gasa. The effects of this were immediately apparent. As Conora returned to Tara, enchanted fairy fires of green flames began to spring up all along the countryside. The king ended up having to take several diversions to avoid the flames. Conora took a different route home, going anti-clockwise around the kingdom of Brega and clockwise around his home at Tara. Before arriving home, Conora began to see a horrid beast emerge from the fairy fires. He thought it some demon from the other world. He cast a mighty spear which pierced the beast's skull. Upon closer inspection, no longer clouded by the shrouds of smoke, Conora realised this beast was the crooked beast of Kierna. Conora began to realise each taboo he had broken. With each broken gasa, the fairy fires grew and intensified. 
Conor realised he was the cause. In order to protect himself from harm, and indeed to protect the people from himself, Conor decided he would take refuge in the hostel of his friend and ally, Da Derga. On the road to the hostel, Conor and his troops spotted three men in red cloaks with thick locks of red hair riding ahead of him. Darga is the Irish word for red, so Conor knew to follow these men would be to break yet another gasa. So Conor asked them to let him pass. The three redheads refused. Conor tried to overtake them, but could not gain enough speed. Helpless, he was forced to follow three reds into the house of a red man. And when Conor arrived at the hostel, he fell off his horse. From the ground he looked up, and through the spoked wheel of a cart he could see a roaring fire inside the house. To stay in the hostel would be the sixth broken gasa, but Conor had no choice. As the fires grew, so too a fairy horde began to muster outside. Conor took shelter with Daderga. Meanwhile, down in Albion, Conor's foster brothers had once again found great prosperity in the line of pillaging, forming a great relationship with a British king. The king allowed the brothers to pillage the land as long as one day they would aid him in overthrowing the high king at Tara. Even though Conor had spared the lives of his wretched brothers, they were still angry at him and happily agreed to take the British king home. When the time came, the king of Britain landed with Conor's brothers just in time to see fire and flame engulf the land. They made their way to Da Derga's hostel, where they heard Conor was staying and waited outside to kill the king. At the hostel, through the hordes and flames came a knock on the door. It was an old woman. The laws of hospitality forbade Connor from refusing her, so he let her in. The crone told the king, You are a good king, but you will not leave this hostel in any peace bigger than a bird can carry in his claws. Realising his fate was set, Connor decided he would go down fighting. He emerged from the hostel and through the flames began to strike down any man in his path. None of them were any match for Connor. And this is truly where he earned his moniker, Conora Moore, Conora the Great. The High King cut down man and fairy alike, including the British King and each one of his three treacherous brothers. But soon a great thirst came over Conora. He sent out his servant, Machkecht, to fetch him water. Machkecht searched the length and breadth of Ireland, but no lake or river would give him water. The land knew the carnage sweeping across it was the will of the Tua de Danon, and that Conora was its cause, so they would not give Machkecht water. Machkecht arrived back at Da Darga's hostel just in time to see the High King beheaded. With Conora dead, the fairy flames and armies subsided and returned to their home world, and the island of Era was at peace once more. Machkecht searched the battlefield and gathered up what pieces he could find of his former king and gave Conor a proper burial. And the legend of Conor Moore served as a tragic cautionary tale of a man destroyed by the powers of fate. To be continued. And there we have the story of Conor Moore on Fireside. Yes, 
lot to that there. So in pretty much all of the stories in the historical cycle so far, it has been, relatively speaking, happy endings for for a lot of the kings, or they have long rules, and their rules are very prosperous, and they bring great prosperity to the land. The story of Conor Amor is much more Greek than that. The, the Gyasa is something that has cropped up here and there as this enduring thing, these list of taboos that are put on on these great characters. I'm trying to think of some... There's Gasson Fionn McCool, there's Gasson few characters in the Fenian cycle, but here we have the very most amount of them. I think there's nine of them, nine gas, and they're really varied and really specific. And Cunora is given them by his father, and he is destined to break all of them. So there's something very Herculean about this, something very like, this is much more like a, an ancient Greek myth, which nearly always end in tragedy for the heroes, certainly the half, the half-god, half-mortal heroes they are put on this earth with great, exceptional, extraordinary power and are usually undone. Like they, the Hamarsha, as as they're known as, when you're talking about Shakespeare, certainly of their fatal flaw. But here it's not even a flaw necessarily in Conor's character. He is just destined to be brought down by the very things that make him great. Him being elected king does become his undoing and he is powerless, essentially, to de- to to stop any of these things happening. And we really get a, we get, really get to see what happens when such an amount of gasa are broken that the country is literally in flames and that the armies of the fairy world do come to collect blood, you know. So this is this really goes to show why people were so afraid of these gas and why these were so important to them was uh, the consequences were the country burned to the ground, basically, you know. And with that, you also have Conor's three brothers cursed to go over to Albion and to bring the British king back over. And that all is that all is in the actual story. They are sent to England and they do come back over. And it's really rubbish. He doesn't even do anything. He spares their lives. He banishes them. But like that's the very least he could do. He probably still got flack for only banishing them and not beheading them. And that's how they, they come back to behead him. His ending is particularly interesting as well. People might think of uh, the end of Dermot Odivna and the pursuit of Dermot O'Gronje, where Fionn McCool has the power to gather water in his hands, but lets it slip through. Here we almost have the ref- res- the opposite of that, where this servant of this servant of Conor's Machiacht, he travels the length and breadth of Ireland, and no river or lake will give him water. It will refuse. It'll be like. Uh, to use a meta- to use an example in Harry Potter in the Half Blood Prince, when Harry is trying to give Dumbledore water from that um, from that little well where the the locket is, and it refuses to give it to him. It's very much like that is the image I get, and there could be one of two things. It could be that the rivers and the lakes know that the country's burning and that Conrad does need to die for all of this to end. Could it be? Yeah, Midir is the river god. Could it be his? interference as well knowing that Conora is the great he is the great grandson of Attain but by mortal 
by mortal means. He is not his great-grandson, it is her great-grandson. So he would hate that uh, this bloodline still exists. So maybe it was Midir who cursed Conora this entire time. You have the character of the Bird King here. This is certainly the only time I've encountered him. And he just comes in. I could not help myself in attempting a basically an Irish an Irish version of Bird Person from Rick and Morty, one of my absolute favorite TV shows. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. Like base like basically anyone I know. I don't know any casual Rick and Morty fans to be fair. Anyone who's into it is mad into it. And Bird Person is one of my favorite characters in it voiced by co-creator Dan Harmon and it just has that that monotone. I'm glad it has been a difficult mating period for Bird Person. And so I couldn't help but do a kind of Irish version of that for this half man, half bird, bird king character. That's just visual wise Bird Person was exactly how I pictured that as we list as he lists off his absurdly specific list of Gassa. And yeah, I don't think there's anything else for me that I have in my head thoughts-wise about this. Yeah, I suppose that was yeah, that was basically just the main thing is that it was interesting to see uh, this good guy, this good king by all accounts or certainly we've nothing to believe otherwise just getting absolutely torn apart and brought down totally out of his own control. Very much a cautionary tale of just I suppose it's it's almost what is the tale what's the caution you know the caution is embrace the chaos you know almost it's you can't you might as well try your best but ultimately a huge amount of things is going to be out of your hand so it's hard to know what the actual message is especially for these these kings you know I suppose it's to keep the kings humble you know that like while these kings would seem all powerful and control of everything and the masters of their own destiny, ultimately they were totally at the whims of the gods of the Tuatheidanann, who do have this constant resentment of mortal of mortal beings and of the human world, and at all times do want to screw around with them to varying degrees. I mean, last time, last time we had the story of the fairy wife. And very different story, but same kind of thing in terms of it's about the battle between the mortal and the immortal worlds. You know, it's that constant back and forth. That is what Irish mythology is. That's what Irish folklore and mythology boils down to. It's just that internal conflict between the mortal and immortal worlds. About the resentment that Tuatha have for the mortals for stopping to believing in them and for taking over this world and forcing them underground and forcing them to become fairies. Of course, at this time, at the time of the historical cycle, the two of them have just gone underground, but they still are very much themselves. They still are the gods. They still are there in Tirnanog, um, with this constant back and forth and this battle between them, which is really interesting. It's it's really cool, but I think just even I'm even just talking out loud now, but I think that is really true. That's really what the epicenter of Irish folklore mythology is. That's what it really boils down to, as I suppose it is with a lot of Greek mythology. Greek and Roman and other every kind of mythology that is just one of the most base things is the battle the ongoing struggle between between the gods and the people between the immortal and the mortal worlds and what more what what better a conf, constant struggle could you have than that but that yes that is the story of Conor O'More so next time 
with this as we come to the end of September, we're entering Halloween. Um, I don't know about you, but I think it's going to get pretty spooky. And um, my plan is, I want to do an entire month of folk tales. I want to do an entire month of scary stories, of stories of go- banshees, ghosts, that kind of thing. How I usually do this is obviously I do folk tale and myth myth alt- on alternating weeks. But so what I might do next time is we've one more big story to tell in the historical cycle, which I think could be a two, maybe even a three-parter because I want to do it right and I want to use it as kind of the practice for how the Ulster cycle will have to be treated. But so what I might do is break my rule a little bit and I might just do this next story of mythology and, and then basically do a few weeks in a row of of ghost stories for Halloween culminating. I want to do a Halloween special where I want to do maybe like readings of of prose and poetry of like really great pieces, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. I want to do sections from that, just do like a big long episode of different extracts and chat about some of the more gothic literature and stories I think that could be different, different, but uh, I think it could be really cool. But yeah, let me know your thoughts out there on that and if you have any suggestions yourself otherwise. And then once I do a month of folk tales on Halloween and scary stories, then we can really get down into the meat and two veg of the Ulster cycle, the final cycle of Irish mythology that'll probably take us right up to Christmas, which is really cool. And then we make our plan for for the new year. Because even though we'll get to about the year mark in in uh, November, at the end of November, I think like we might end up doing a couple more episodes than that. There might be, you know, as many as even 60 episodes in season one. Season one might take us right up until the end of 2019. And then 2020, January, we may start with season two and see what season two may bring whether it means moving on to different folklore, different mythology, or different aspects of Irish storytelling. This is, at the end of the day, this is a storytelling podcast, and that's always what I wanted to do. Folklore and mythology was always going to be the foundation and the building blocks of it, but as a gateway into other avenues, which is really exciting. And there's so many places we can go. And I have in my head where I think season two will certainly start. But that is a few months away yet, but that's just a vague just outline of what's coming in the coming months, as well as next week we'll have our big, big news as well, which I can't wait to tell you all. But I'm going to wrap it up there, and I hope you've all enjoyed it. Thank you so much to everyone here at Headstuff, Alan and Paddy, and uh, for Jamie, my producer, for editing this podcast together each and every week. I love doing it so much, and I hope you're all enjoying listening to it. Thank you to returning listeners. Thank you to new listeners. And next time, you will hear us all. You will see me. I will see you. You will hear me next time round the fireside. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.